Well, hello, ladies and gents. Robert Sykes, KetoSavage.com, and today I have Kim Howerton back on for round two of this two-part series podcast. The last episode, we dove deep into reverse dieting. This episode is all going to be about metabolic flexibility. We both have, you know, pretty pretty strong thoughts on metabolic flexibility as a concept. We both agree about metabolic flexibility as a concept, and we just kind of dive into some of our our thoughts, our concerns, our beliefs, and it kind of turned into a really interesting mindset podcast as well. So I thoroughly enjoyed the conversation. I definitely feel like there's a lot of value in the principles that we talked about. So without further ado, sit back, relax, learn something, and enjoy this wonderful conversation with Kim Howerton. Kim, how are you? We are back for round two. Hey there, Robert. How's it going? It is going great. I appreciate you jumping on again such short notice um, after kind of like tailing that other episode. So if anybody didn't listen to your bio or anything, then they should just roll, scroll back like one week and hear that first episode. <laughs> but, right. I won't bore everyone with it. <laughs> but I really want to touch on, you know, we talked about talking about metabolic flexibility on this episode. And I feel like, you know, with, with the demographic that you're mostly servicing, that is, I mean, just as the whole keto community as a whole has, has, you know, really started to hear a lot more about this concept of metabolic flexibility. And I feel like you and I are in two different ends of the spectrum and are probably getting a lot of questions on this topic. So I'd love to just kind of flesh that out, especially from your perspective, you know, with your demographic, you know, the, I mean, just define your demographic, just so people listening. Sure. Know. I, I tend to work with primarily women, primarily over 40, primarily highly insulin resistant, and primarily have been unhappy with their body and and tend to have higher body fat for several decades. You could kind of describe it as like 40 plus crowd, like they're over 40 in age and they've carried an extra 40 or more, usually more pounds for several decades. Gotcha. And I'm, I'm pretty much servicing the the athletic demographic, I, I service pretty much everybody, but that's probably definitely who I market to and, and create mm-hmm. content around. Uh, and I feel like the, the concept of metabolic flexibility could be very applicably, could be very applicable to the athletes and other demographics as well. But I feel like our answers to these questions could be different. Um, sure. So let's first begin with a definition. I feel like that makes a lot of sense. Uh, so in your in your words, how would you describe and define metabolic flexibility so metabolic flexibility from what i understand is the capacity of your body to adapt to um oxidizing fuel sources differently so if you know when you are using food for energy right food Mm -hmm. is energy um specifically especially carbs and fat right you know protein is structure more structural it can be used for energy but Carbs and fat are our two main energy sources. And someone who is metabolically flexible can adapt based on what substrate is available. Whereas a person who is metabolically inflexible has trouble um, with fuel oxidation depending upon the source of uh, substrate that they're using. Gotcha. I would completely agree with that definition. Um, and I feel like most people that are like just now coming into the ketogenic space and have been following a traditional carbohydrate-based protocol for the last several years of their life, 
they would be deemed as metabolically inflexible because they haven't had to really rely on fat oxidation for fuel. Right. And I think what's kind of interesting, I mean, we talked touched on this in our last call, which is, you know, we've been in the keto market for a long time. And what I've seen, and I, you've mentioned as well, is this recent upswing in the interest in metabolic flexibility. And what's interesting is I hear most often people suggesting that you need to increase your quote unquote metabolic flexibility as a suggestion to someone who is keto to add more carbs. Whereas from, from what I see in sort of my base, the actual source of true metabolic flexibility is uh, getting off the carbs enough to teach your body how to become uh, a fat burner. Totally and completely agree. And I feel like, you know, in that sense of the word, what, what I would define, what you have defined as metabolic flexibility, if you're coming from a background of eating, you know, carbohydrates, whether they be processed or not, but coming from a place where you're, you're not really readily able to tap into and use stored body fat and dietary fat as a fuel source, then becoming keto adapted, becoming fat adapted, and being able to tap into that fuel source, by definition, makes you metabolically flexible flexible. So if you've been coming from a background of high carbohydrate and then you get keto adapted, boom, you are metabolically flexible, correct? Yeah. I mean, that really, you know, what, what they see when they study this um, is very much that how our muscles um, can utilize fuel when you're insulin resistant, your, your body's ability to utilize the fat source either from your body or from your food is diminished, right? You don't have very good capabilities there. Whereas a healthy person who can dip in and out of ketosis, um, because even an athlete who is on just a moderate carbohydrate diet will be in and out of ketosis, right? Mm -hmm. Because they're using up their, their carb stores pretty much in a heavy workout. Whereas if you look at more of a sedentary, uh, overweight, insulin-resistant person, they're, they're really struggling to tap into appropriate fat oxidation. Right, right. I mean, I think back to what my diet looked like during a competition prep before I ever even started keto, and I was very low-carb because that was just the nature of doing a traditional competition prep and tapering calories. So, I mean, right. I, I was probably in a state of ketosis, you know, a pretty good deal of that time, but I didn't even know what ketosis was at the time. Um, right. So, it's kind of funny, you know, I look back to that and it's it's similar to what we're talking about here, but simply being able to, you know, leverage fat oxidation yeah. as a primary fuel source inherently makes you very metabolically flexible. And that's, that's a great thing. In that sense of the word, I'm 100% all for being metabolically flexible. I hope everybody becomes metabolically flexible because being metabolically inflexible and relying heavily on carbohydrates and processed foods just doesn't make sense and is not going to bode well for your overall longevity and health. Um, so what I'm concerned with is that there's this notion that if you become keto adapted, then your body loses its ability to then turn around and, and use and function well with carbohydrates. And I'm not really sure what your take is on that. So I kind of want to peel the curtain back there. Sure. I mean, I, I will, let me preface this by saying like, I am not a biochemist. 
I'm just a regular girl, you know, who's interested in these topics. And so if somebody's like, oh, no, 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 Kim, I know a study. Because if, you know, if I'm like, I don't know a study, please get in touch and send it to me. Um, but, you know, in my research, because I find this an interesting topic, it really does appear that humans almost, I mean, I'm not talking about people with some type of mitochondrial disease or an inborn error of metabolism. You know, those are sort of outlying cases, but an average human, um, they don't lose their ability to use glucose as fuel because even in a zero carb or a close to zero carb state, we continue to make glucose through gluconeogenesis. Mm -hmm. um, and so our body is always running on a combination. So our, our body is always running on glucose and sometimes it's running on glucose and free fatty acids and ketones, right? Um, we ne even in a highly ketogenic state, we are still uh, replenishing glycogen. We're still utilizing glucose. Our blood glucose doesn't go to zero. And so it's really my opinion that we don't lose the ability to use carbohydrates effectively by becoming fat adapted. We, I think we, we become a hybrid at that point. We don't become like a, a Tesla. Like, you know, you don't have to just plug us in. We can use both substrates, if that makes sense. Totally, totally. And I feel like, you know, like if someone's been eating carbohydrates their whole life and they, they go over to a ketogenic diet, they're going to have that, you know, quote unquote, keto flu-like symptoms uh, mm -hmm. if, you know, their electrolytes aren't balanced or if they've got, an, you know, an, something out of equilibrium there. And there is that adaptation period. But, and, and that may be true to a point if you're, you know, going from a very strict ketogenic carnivore-esque style of eating and then you start incorporating rice or squash or something of that nature, there may be a little bit of a lag period there. But I feel like that lag period would be even shorter and it is certainly not a permanent thing by any means. I mean, your body will adapt and learn to use whatever substrate you give it if that's the primary substrate you're giving it. Right. And if, and this is, so my experience, I've been keto over four years and I was, I wanted, I had a question I want to ask you. I was like, has Robert ever tried to go back to carbs? So that would be an interesting one for you to answer. But I've recently um, undertaken an experiment because I've always been total carbs, very, very low. You know, when I first went keto, if, if my total carbs went above around 27, I would, I would no longer be in ketosis. Right. Mm -hmm. And so now that I'm, four years in, I was like, well, let's see what will happen. Um, I'm just that person. And so I've been testing a higher carb approach. Like where can I push the, 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 my carb tolerance to, and I have been able to go a full month staying in ketosis. Uh, you know, every once in a while, my ketone level is like 0.3, but it's usually well above 0.6 at up to like 60 total carbs a day. Mm -hmm. So so my carb tolerance is much higher than it used to be, still staying in ketosis, um, you know, which would indicate to me <laughs> that, um, you know, I am now at a level that once would have been impossible for my body to function in ketosis on. And, you know, 
it kind of has shown me that um, I think you don't lose fat adaptation unless you completely go off the rails, right? You, even a person who's really well fat adapted has has high insulin sensitivity like I do at this point. Um, even if I, I mean, did probably 200 carbs in a single day, you know, within a couple of days, I would certainly be back in ketosis. You know, this indicates to me, at least for myself in my N of one, that I have not in any way impaired my ability to use glucose, to use those carbs as energy. And if I were an athlete, which I am not, I'm very much not, you know, I would imagine no problems whatsoever. Totally, totally agree with everything you've just said. Um, the question that I have, or actually let, before I get to the question, so yeah. I, I do feel like, you know, if, you, if you've if you been strict keto for a length of time, you've improved your level of fat adaptation and you become more insulin sensitive, your tolerate. Your, your toleration and threshold for how many carbs you can consume on a daily basis while not, you know, sacrificing or getting kicked out of ketosis definitely heightens. Like, I feel like you being able to eat 60 grams of total carbohydrates in a 24-hour period while not even doing any crazy intense exercise and still having registered ketones in your blood, that's pretty indicative of the fact that, hey, look, you were more insulin sensitive than you were five years ago, and right. you're able to kind of increase your diversity of macronutrients the question is are you experiencing any inherent benefits from those dietary carbohydrates on a performance basis or are the main benefits coming from just simply having a greater variety of food choices i mean to be quite honest i don't think other than the fact that i was like let's see what happens um i don't think there's any significant benefit to me because um, one, I still have body fat that I like to burn. I would like to see, I would like to continue to maintain very low insulin levels. Um, you know, I wear a continuous glucose monitor and while my average glucose has not gone up significantly, I do see a little bit more up and down. Mm -hmm. So whereas my, uh, when I'm on my normal approach, my glucose barely moves 10 points from the top to the low. Mm -hmm. And now I'm finding it's dipping lower than it usually dips, but then it's going higher. So it's, I'm more in like a 20 to 25 point range now, which to me indicates more insulin activity, you know, in response to more glucose activity. And, um, uh, you know, and is that the right thing for my body um, in its current state and the fact that I'm not an athlete um, and my initial impression is I don't see it as better in any way. And potentially I do see it as slightly worse than, you know, the conditions I was under before. Have you noticed any change in like mental cognition, clarity, sleep, anything like that? Not really. Um, I have not noticed I sleep, you know, some people will say carbs help you sleep because there is a relationship with, you know, tryptophan and um, melatonin and, uh, I have not noticed any increase in uh, sleep quality. Um, I have not noticed any increase in energy. Uh, what's interesting is I use a ketogenic diet to help manage my mood because I have clinical depression. I haven't noticed a worsening in my mood, but I haven't noticed an improvement. I'm, it's about the same. Um, and I think that because 
I'm still eating a fair amount of fat. I'm still in ketosis. Not that you have to, you know, anyway, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm still registering ketones. I'm still in ketosis. You know, I think I've not yet hit a level at which those things are being negatively impacted. Gotcha. Gotcha. I feel like from an athlete's perspective, there's this argument that, you know, if you are able to be metabolically flexible, you can kind of tap into this sense of dual fuel and have Uh both fat and ketones and carbohydrates and glucose fueling your activities. And that may be true to a point, but I'm kind of of the mindset that there's a partitioning. Like if you're robbing Peter to pay Paul, like somebody's still getting robbed. Like you're you're <laughs> taking from one thing to add to another. It's not like you get just a hundred percent of both. I mean there's one hundred percent and that's all you have to work with. You can't have you can have fifty percent carbs and fifty percent fat, but you can't have a hundred percent carbs, a hundred percent fat, if that makes sense. Right. And I guess, you know, for me what I've heard and this is you're the expert here, not me, on this one, is um you know, I have heard that depending on the sport there can be potential uses like, uh, let, let's talk about Zach Bitter as an example, right? Zach Bitter is a world champion, long distance runner mm-hmm. who is fat adapted. He trains ketogenically. He eats low carb. Um, but then when he's doing races, because he, he does 100 mile races, right? Right. He might, you know, up his carbs before the race or, you know, I clearly don't know all the details, but he will sort of strategically use carbs for a little boost, but he wants to be fat adapted because he has to be able to run for a very long time and he has to be able to access that body fat. So he looks for like the best of both worlds, but he can, because it's long term, um, you know, or rather, you know, long distance, um, he needs to tap into his fat stores to optimize. But then there are other sports like, I don't know, shot putting or something where it's like an intense spurt of energy and they're done really fast. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think those sports are called glycolytic, right? Where you have a sort of a, 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 a real hit of needing that glycogen. Um, is, do you think there might be some benefit to almost like using carbs for performance enhancement. Some people would call that like a targeted approach. Mm-hmm. That, that's a great question. I'm glad you asked it. So I have a theory with this question. I don't think there's ever been a scientific study that would do this theory justice, and I honestly don't think there ever will be a scientific study that could possibly do this theory justice because it's just like studies aren't designed this way. Um, but I feel like it is 100% dependent on one's level of adaptation and as you and I both know the length of time that you're adapted is going to you know change your level of adaptation for some for someone that's been adapted on following a ketogenic diet for two weeks that's far different than someone that's been following it for six months which is far different than someone that's been following it for six years and the more deeply adapted you become you know the better the more MCT transporters you have the better ability you have to clear lactate um replenish glycogen like all of these things are dependent on your level of adaptation and if someone is not incredibly deeply adapted then yes i 100 percent can see them you know noticing an inherent benefit from incorporating strategic carbs fast burning carbs you know pre-training intra-training post-training however my theory is that if you allow yourself 
to become truly, truly deeply adapted over years, then your body becomes so incredibly efficient at that, then it outweighs that temporary benefit you get from this cyclical or targeted approach. I don't think there's ever going to be a study because how are they going to find a you know, clinical trial study group in which people are willing to sign up for a five plus year study. I don't think it's going to happen. Um, so it's kind of, you know, 100% anecdotal, you know, in of one, in my opinion. But like, for instance, just again, speaking anecdotally, I will be, I'll train with people uh, in a glycolytic, you know, activity like uh, resistance training and mm-hmm. like cross, like HIT, for instance, um, or CrossFit. And I'll run circles around them, even if they're incorporating carb ups. And again, that's very dependent on the individual, but I truly think I'm able to do that because I've been strictly keto adapted for, you know, six years now. My body's made that the new norm. It's it's risen to that level of adaptation. I don't feel like you can accomplish that if you're constantly going back and forth with like keto, with carb ups or targeted keto or, you know, the quote unquote current version of what metabolic flexibility is and, and just incorporating all these carbs. I feel like, you know, you have to kind of pick and choose if you want to be able to have more variety and kind of be a you know jack of all trades or if you want to be a master of one and I've kind of gone the master of one route right so I guess you know my question to you not to put you on the spot but have you ever like done an experiment where you've tried more carbs I did so when I when I first started um like before I went full-fledged keto savage and it was just going strictly keto yeah I would do uh, I was following what John Kiefer's carbohydrate backloading so basically that was ketogenic uh, all throughout uh-huh. the early part of the day. And then depending on what your activities are the following day, you would have a carb up. Um, and that was basically the protocol I was following prior to me going just strict keto. So I went from a you know bro dieting, flexible dieting approach to this carb backloading. Um, and then from there to strict keto. It wasn't an honest, you know, great representation because I wasn't in nearly as adapted then as I am now. So I would have to just see, but again, I, I don't feel like, I feel like I would be hindering my body's ability to continually getting more deeply adapted if I was to do this experiment at this point. So it's not a worthwhile endeavor for me. Uh, I'm just going to have like a clone of myself made or something so I can <laughs> run this experiment <laughs> on them. Um, and it's hard because like I've got, I'm very passionate about this theory of mine uh, because it, it perfectly embodies you know, discipline and consistency. And those are two values that I hold very high in high regard. And I feel like so many people could tap into a a deeper and and fuller potential of themselves by exercising discipline and and consistency and and having a strict ketogenic approach for the long haul embodies that so well. But again, there's just, there's not any scientific studies that I can use to to point and prove this theory. Um, So people just got to trust, (laughs) trust me or give it a try themselves and see how they, they perform personally. But, you know, again, I've, I've, I've worked with people, I've trained with people, I've, you know, 100% of the clients that I've ever had that have tried to incorporate strategic carbs, they come back to me and they're like, you know what, at the end of the day, it just isn't worth it. Right. Yeah. I think, you know, one of the things that in preparation for our call today, I actually was like, let me, let me look into this again. You know, because I, I don't want to be the a-hole who's like, that's ridiculous, shut up. You know what I mean? Like, I want to hear people out about why they think things work. Mm-hmm. And, you know, what I, you know, I heard, I listened to a couple podcasts and I, you know, looked at a couple of books and, 
you know, and one of the, this is the frustration that I have. And I don't know if you've experienced this and I'm really trying to make sure this isn't just cognitive dissonance, you know, um, which is I'll hear people say phrases when they're talking about how adding more carbs back in. So it's sort of funny. They used to call them carb ups Mm -hmm. and then people got twitchy around the word carb ups and so i think they started saying metabolic flexibility (laughs) instead you know what i mean but really what we're talking about here because you and i are both fully in support of the concept of metabolic flexibility yes but what really i think people are saying is carb ups when right now and so i started looking at like well why would you want to add carbs back in and things were like things were said like shock the body uh Balance your hormones, um, replenish your glycogen stores, uh, rock your body. Like these were like quotes that I like heard. And I was like, what does that even mean? Like, you know, balance. I was like, okay, balance your hormones. What hormones and how? And, you know, when I kind of went down the rabbit hole, um, one of the things I started to realize is that a lot of the people that are talking about adding these carbs back in are working with populations of women who are potentially extremely thin Mm -hmm. and extremely low insulin. Uh, And, and I was like, Oh, okay. So I think this is very, very dependent. So if you are someone, in my opinion, if you're somebody whose C peptide is over two, so C peptide is a blood test that you're, you get a prescription for and every time you produce insulin you also produce c-peptide so you can use c-peptide level as a way to tell how much your body insulin your body is producing if your c-peptide is at zero you have type 1 diabetes right usually Mm -hmm. um unless there's something else wrong um if and then you also want to look at your fasting insulin so what i see is these populations of women who are working out five days a week whose c-peptide is like under one whose fasting insulin is under two so both of those mean they're, they're, there's very little circulating insulin in their body um, because they're probably eating very, very low carb. And on top of that, they're working out a lot and having more muscle mass than, you know, fat mass by quite a bit. And, you know, and they're potentially at that point because their insulin is very, very low. Um, one thing, and they're probably like trying to incorporate intermittent fasting and, And this profile of human, um, they're not doing their body a lot of favors, right, at that point, right? They're kind of at a breaking point Mm -hmm. where their insulin is so low. And one of the things people may or may not know is insulin and cortisol are are in opposition. So if you're constantly driving that cortisol up and the insulin down and their stress hormones are going to get whacked out, you know, so there's this whole mess happening. Um, this population, I really don't have a problem adding some carbs to their diet. Quite honestly, I think this specific population needs a little less tightly controlled in their life period, right? Like, um, however, I think that the... Per- I have no figure here, but I'm I'm imagine, imagining that this, if you took the population of the United States as a whole, this very, very thin woman who works out quite a bit 
and has very, very, very low insulin levels is like less than 2% of the adult population in the United States, right? right? Like it is a small, specific group of people. Um, the vast majority of the population of the United States are overweight and insulin resistant. Mm -hmm. In a population that is overweight and insulin resistant, I think that playing with carbs is always going to be a net negative as yes. in not good and i would i would i would agree with that i would second that for sure and i would also say that that initial demographic you painted a picture of there they're oftentimes hypocaloric and if they simply yeah. increase overall calories that would solve probably 100 percent of their hormonal problems as it relates to why they're arguing in favor of carbs in the first place Right. I totally agree. I think often when people are arguing for carb ups, what is probably needed is increased calories. Totally. Which kind of goes full circle back to the topic of reverse dieting that like we talked about last time is having that period where your calories are in a surplus over just this chronic dieting uh, you know, mindset. Right. And the reason that I'm not against that population maybe increasing their carbohydrates is um, carbohydrates can increase hunger and these people just need to eat more. Totally, totally, totally. So like my fear is that you have people coming into, you know, the, the keto space as a, as a way to lose weight because that's what the mm -hmm. largest portion of the demographic is trying to do with the keto diet. Um, mm -hmm. and then they, they, they dig into it more and they find there's a lot more benefits than just weight loss. But they're coming in needing to lose body fat, needing to improve their insulin sensitivity, and they can probably see the majority of that benefit from following a pretty traditional ketogenic approach with the high fat, adequate protein, very low to no carbohydrates, but they're coming into the space when the buzz is metabolic flexibility in the sense of reincorporating carbs. So they're probably either eating far too much or far too little. They're not really at a good maintenance caloric intake and they're hearing increase, you know, carbohydrate and, and tap into this dual fuel. And that's just kind of setting them up for some serious long-term, you know, just derailing of what could be a good thing. I totally uh, agree. So one of the, I, I feel, I feel really bad for people coming into the keto space right now, quite honestly, like it, it cause it's very like, you know, topic du jour. Yeah. Um, and because met metabolic flexibility is, has kind of come up as the buzz phrase this year, um, is that I think people need to really, rather than just follow gurus or follow popularity, is to really like dive in and under start to learn to understand their body and what food does to their body, what different types of foods, how they affect their body. You know, one person's carb tolerance is not another person's, you know, it's very different. And I think that ultimately the real win is understanding your own hormonal system, your own you know, fuel utilization and your own ability to make changes in your body. Um, I think that 
a lot of us in the world are used to being in opposition to our body, um, not being able to identify with how we feel, um, not being able to identify with our hunger signals because they've been hijacked by insulin resistance. And so we're like, just tell me what to do. You know, like people come into keto and they just want to be told what to do because they do not have an instrument that's very attenuated to circumstance and, uh, and experience yet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I 100% agree. And I mean, you really just have to, to dig deep. Like you can't take what your doctor says, obviously, you know, at face value and, and just, you know, take it as as you know written in stone like you have to dive deeper and the same is true with like when you dive into the ketogenic space in the low carb community like what information is being conveyed what is applicable to me at this current stage in my life versus possibly down the road am i an athlete am i just trying to live a healthy life like there's all these questions that people need to address and have the self-awareness to be honest with themselves about and i don't know I, i just get frustrated seeing people paint this picture and just talking about it but not really giving any thought to who their audience is like if you're in the ketogenic space then a large portion of your audience is the metabolically dysfunctional you know individual that needs to lose weight i mean i look at my uh you know my, my brand for instance i mean keto savage it's a picture of me flexing at a bodybuilding show with my, like three percent body fat right like yeah with like three percent body fat you would think that the largest portion of my demographic is, you know, young guys between 20 and 40 years old that want to compete and be shredded. When I look into my analytics and my audience reports on Instagram, the vast majority of like 60 or 70% of my audience is, you know, women over 50 that need to lose weight. Like it's like you cannot preach this brand image of like this is how keto is and should be for everyone and then give no thought to the fact that who's listening i mean that i feel like so many people are just speaking blindly as to what is going on with them and they're not prefacing that conversation and that's doing a lot of damage to the people that are hearing it yeah i totally agree and it's it's totally human right like most of us who came to keto it was our personal experience mm-hmm. we're like i went keto and my life improved and everything got better and so now i teach people how to do exactly what i do right it's like, yeah, totally. But now like you're, if you want to like only then market to an audience who's been keto for five years, that's different than if you're going to work with people who are new or, you know, or, or not necessarily even work with, right. Just like if you make podcasts, they're not all your clients who are listening to it. Totally. Um, they're, they're just people out there in the world. And so, you know, the word context I use a lot. You have to know the context. You have to know where somebody is. Um, you have to know a lot about somebody to know where they should be on the spectrum of their relationship with carbohydrates. Um, and and I think that the vast majority of people are not in a good place with their relationship with them. Yes, I totally agree. And honestly, you know, like, like we said in the last episode, I am not this, you know, dogmatic, like, keto, strict keto zealot that just wants everybody to, to know, totally refrain from all carbohydrates. Like, if you have one gram of carbohydrates in a day, you, you failed. Like, I don't ever want to be painted into that corner. Um, 
but and if there's people that simply want more variety and if they are metabolically sound and they're fit and they have a desirable composition that they're happy with and they want to enjoy a food that is not within the you know context of a ketogenic diet and they're they're embracing the repercussions that happens from that then more power to them i'm never once gonna like you know try to food shame them like there's your body it's what, what you put in your mouth is your decision like go for it i don't care um but i feel like people just need to be aware of the simple fact that that is a decision you make and you know it, it it's what, what i don't like seeing is people marketing this metabolic flexibility as is defined now of being keto and then being able to reincorporate carbs as this inherent performance benefit or this thing that is leading to total human optimization. It's like, no, you're you're able to have a higher threshold. You're able to get away with much more for sure. But that doesn't necessarily, like getting, seeing what you can get away with is not the same thing as seeing what you can optimize at. And I just want to make that point very clear for people that are in a good place with their metabolism, with their health, with their level of adaptation. Like there's a pretty profound difference between seeing what you can get away with and seeing what you can optimize with. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And a, a topic that comes up in every podcast I listen to and every article I read about, you know, encouraging carb ups to allow to, quote, add metabolic flexibility, were, well, it was mentioned that there's a benefit that you can go out with your friends and you can have a date night and you can, you know, have pizza with your friends sometimes. You don't have to feel weird at that party. And I'm like, is this really a thing? Like, I mean... Granted, yes, but you sure if it suits you right now in this place to eat that thing, sure. Like I have, I'm not the food police. Do as you will. Um, but I don't think we could suggest or should suggest that that is a choice to make your le- your health more optimal. Now it may make you happier. So like, and you have my blessing. Like if it makes you happier, and there. Are, and the repercussions are low, right? Mm-hmm. Great. But I think you're lying to yourself to say, well, low repercussions are the same thing as optimizing. Yes, 100%. And, you know, like, it, you have to just look at it through the lens of the the net outcome. Like, if, if you go out and you have a, you know, a bunch of beer and pizza and you know, you're obviously not improved. That's not a benefit to your physical nutritional performance. And if you think it is, then you're lying to yourself. Uh, But if it results in a net benefit to like, you know, the relationships you had, the whole experience, if, if that for you is a net positive, then I'm happy for you. Um, But again, don't try and convince yourself that you're improving your overall performance and metabolic flexibility by doing that. But right, it's not like, Hey, uh, let's top off our glycogen stores with this beer, right? Like and that's yeah. not necessarily the choice I would suggest. Right, yeah. and it's very, very individualized. Like for me personally, that would be a net loss, hands down, no questions asked, because I don't need to rely on pizza and beer to improve the time spent with my family, friends, and loved ones. And you know, I'm I don't want to go on just this diatribe tangent right now, but I I hear. One of the main, you know, quote unquote perks, if you want to call it, to metabolic flexibility is that you can enjoy these foods with like your your kids. Like people always use kids as like a scapegoat and they say, 
you know, if my kids want to wake up on Sunday morning and have waffles with a whole bunch of syrup, you know, who am I to deprive them of that? I should be able to eat those with them and enjoy that time with my kids. And I'm probably going to lose some subscribers in saying this, but I'm going to say it anyways because I feel strong about this. And I don't have kids, but this is how I feel very strongly about what I'm going to do when I do have kids, is if I personally do not feel like waffles and syrup are the best thing for my health anyways, why am I going to give them to my kids, first of all? But then secondly, if my relationship with my kids is dependent upon eating waffles and syrup, then that's not much of a relationship in the first place. Yeah, I mean, I think there's a balance with, I think, with kids. Like, there's, I don't have kids either, but I have nieces and nephews and friends with kids and I think there's a balance. I don't think we have to be super stoic, you know, food is never fun. But I also think that there are certainly choices that can be made within your lifestyle that mean that you have an excellent relationship and connection with your children that isn't based on junk food. Totally. I mean, shoot. I mean, you, you go hunting, right? Like mm -hmm. I'm envisioning that you will have a, 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 a space within there to have a really rich and meaningful relationship with children going on those hunting trips that the average non-hunter doesn't get. That doesn't mean you're a better dad than they are. It just means a good dad uses the opportunities presented to them to maintain connection. It doesn't have to look like any one thing. Totally, totally agree. I feel like a lot of people go towards, you know, this concept of metab metabolic flexibility and other diets in general because they feel restricted and they have a hard time mm -hmm. sustaining anything for any length of time. And, like, for me personally, like, I, I can eat pretty much the same thing and be totally fine. Um, I'm just, like, a machine when it comes to that. Like, I, I, I do enjoy food, and there's times where I'll have, I'll have food that is, you know, not bad food, but like it's not the most super nutrient dense, you know, beef liver that I can get. Um, but like for you personally, like you've been keto for quite some time as well. Like how have you found just making it sustainable and not feel like you're deprived or missing out on anything? Like how, how have you made that work for you? Like that's going to be different for everyone, but I feel like sure. there's so many freaking keto food options and alternatives right now. Like I would rather eat a chaffle than a normal waffle any day of the week. Like, there's more flavor there. Like, I don't feel like we live in an era where you have to be deprived. Right, and I, I totally agree. So, you know, one as I've, I've talked about before, but when, when I went keto, my reasoning was that I like things that taste good. I, I love food. I'm a foodie, right? Mm -hmm. And f food had started making me miserable, right? I was eating food that chemically made me unhappy if you think about it right like I was an addict right like I would eat food that would cause a negative repercussion mm -hmm. and then I would suffer because of that negative repercussion and ultimately I was like I cannot be in this dysfunctional relationship with food anymore but I still want food it's like you have one abusive boyfriend, you don't become a, a nun, right? Like you have to find a way that you can, or this was my, everyone is different personality wise, but for me, it was important to me that I moved to a lifestyle that I got more pleasure from, right? At least just as much or more pleasure from 
without the negative side effects. Right. And so that's why I'm a recipe creator, right? Like there is actually freedom in control, if that makes sense. You know, one of the things that really sparks my creativity is to look at a food I used to enjoy, analyze what I enjoyed about it, and try and recreate that experience of the positives while minimizing the negatives. And, and there's a lot of, there's a lot of that available to you in the ketogenic world. And, you know, this also comes into play though with your personality. So Robert's personality is a lot more stoic. I don't know what it, but you know, than mine, I'm a lot more, frivolous (laughs) you want to say but you know there are these different personalities and then there's also to be played into it degree of addiction Mm -hmm. right like there are some people who say you know as soon as i taste something sweet um i'm off to the races and i can't stop eating that is a person that i would have to say even the taste of sweet, even in a non-nutritive, keto-friendly sweetener, is outside of what is a good idea for you. I um, had a... But I think that... Go ahead, sorry. No, no, go ahead. I didn't mean to cut you off there. No, I, but I think we all have to customize that a bit and find our, no pun intended, our sweet spot between as much flexibility that we can have while still maintaining sort of our optimal, or maybe not optimal, but like within the range of health we want to experience. Yeah, totally agree. I mean, it's all about what is sustainable. I mean, I'm I'm reading a, I just started a book today. It's called Atomic Habits by James Clear. Mm-hmm. And I'm like 10 mm-hmm. minutes in, but I freaking love the book already. Like it's, it's yeah, just it's amazing. You, you've read it? Uh-huh. Yeah, it's it's amazing, um, but it's all about like figuring out what you can adhere to, you know, at least the ten minutes that I've listened to thus far, um, about figuring out what you can adhere to and sustain, and that compound year after year after year after year, and right. if if one's you know ability to occasionally have a totally carbohydrate based meal is going to yield them a net positive and make eating a healthy lifestyle and diet 99% of the times more sustainable, then I'd say that's a, a unhealthy meal worth having. Um, you know, for me personally, like I can scratch that itch of not eating beef liver every single day by occasionally having a totally strict keto friendly chaffle with, you know, some whipped cream on top, not the most nutrient dense of options, but pretty dang good in the grand scheme of things, especially compared to traditional foods. Um, so knowing what you can do to make it sustainable for you is key, which I think has gotten much easier to stay strict keto with all the new keto foods and, and desserts and snacks and everything that's out there now, some definitely better than others, but having the ability to adhere to something that's compounding over time and yielding a positive return on investment is the main thing. And and so much of that is dependent on your mindset and your identity. For instance, I don't want to rant here too much, but I had a client call the other day with a client of mine that's been 
struggling with, you know, eating disorders as I have in the past. So he was drawn to me and we just started talking about these concepts. And it really bothered him initially that he felt like he, he could no longer have these carbohydrate-based foods. He felt weak because, you know, he felt like he was restricting. And since he couldn't have these, he like had to prove to himself that he could. So he would try and eat something and then that would you know, indefinitely lead to him binging on foods and it just became this vicious negative feedback loop. And you look at alcoholics, you know, the same is true with them. Like you don't tell an alcoholic here, just have one glass of whiskey and, you know, feel comfortable with that and then get back to your normal routine after that. Like they, they go off the deep end, they just in, overindulge. So knowing what your triggers are in that regard is key. But for me personally, there's things that are just way better to eliminate than to try and moderate, but that isn't necessarily a bad thing. That isn't necessarily a weakness. In all honesty, I view that as a strength, like having the ability to know yourself enough, have that self-awareness, and eliminate those things in your life that you know are not yielding a net positive. That is much more impressive to me than trying to moderate it. Yeah, I mean, I actually think this is in that book, if I'm remembering correctly, but there's a piece around identity. Mm Mm-hmm. That, um, you know, it's interesting. You'll often hear people not, they don't, people don't say I eat keto. They say I am keto, mm-hmm. right? It becomes an identity they take on. Um, yeah, it is in that book. So it's the same thing as a smoker, right? Somebody who quits smoking. Um, there's a difference between saying um, I'm trying to quit and somebody who says I don't smoke. There's an identity piece. And so when you say I am keto, I think there is a very, very strong psychological tie that keeps you on a path with your with with taking on that identity. Because one of the struggles that I think so many of us have had with, quote unquote, moderation is moderation is a slippery slope. There's no black and white. There's no yes and no. There's no rails. There's just sort of nebulous judgment. Mm -hmm. And keto has black and white. It also has a lot of gray, you know, but there are clearly foods that are a good idea and foods that are a bad idea. And when you restrict choices, they've actually found, you know, psychologically, um, People experience less stress. There's less decision fatigue. And so I think that one of the, I mean, all the metabolic and, and, and chemical and physiologic stuff completely aside, which is totally true and, you know, I'm not discounting it, but simply on a psychological level, I think that keto attracts people who are abstainers not moderators so there are different personality types and some people have no problem moderating my dad is one gets on the scale every day and if his weight is up more than a pound and a half he cuts out this list of things right he's like i i cut back to half a glass of wine and he can he has that personality Mm -hmm. um but then there are other people who do not have that personality they are not moderators. It does not work for them to have half a cookie. Um, yeah. and, and those people tend to be abstainers 
which means it's yes or it's no. And that's why they feel so much freedom when they come to keto and we say, no, have the whole steak. Have, have the whole, like, have that big juicy burger. Like, their brain, their system can relax because there's a clear yes and a clear no. And it was so important for me on my keto journey. I, I did not deviate for a full year in any way, shape, or form from being keto. Like, not even like a lick of something. Mm-hmm. Um, because I knew that my slope was slippery, you know, like as soon as I deviated from the path, my tricky brain would say, oh, there's a trap door over there that I, I can get at, I can leave, I can leave, I can exit. Like there's a secret passageway to the ice cream store. I didn't want that. So I clung very firmly to my keto identity. Um, and I'm in a different place now, psychologically, emotionally, all that. But gosh, it was so important for me for a very long time to not allow that other influence to come in. 100%. And I feel like, you know, having the self-awareness enough to know that is key, like knowing who you are and where you're coming from is absolutely necessary in order to know which path you're going to take to get to the desired destination. I, I What I don't like seeing is is people that, you know, are looking at the keto demographic that is not having carbohydrates, that are abstaining from all these, you know, high carbohydrate foods and looking at them as having a weakness, like, oh, they are not strong enough to be to be able to moderate. And they, they go keto and they start doing this metabolic flexibility and they're like, oh, this is the light on the other side. Like, you should be able to have all things you know, have your right. cake and eat the, the, it too. That, that metabolic flexibility is some moral high ground. Yeah, yeah. And it's like they turn their noses up to being, you know, a strict keto athlete or a strict keto individual that, that knows inherently that they, they they would go down a slippery slope if they tried incorporating carbs. Like, I don't want anybody to think that they are missing out by not having the carb. That's why, like, I personally have made it my mission, you know, as an athlete to try and illustrate a strict ketogenic approach can truly be optimal because I feel like if in the back of your mind you're always thinking I'm missing out or this is great but there's more then you're constantly going to be reaching for something and the grass is always going to look green on the other side but if you can feel confident in that hey look you can be strict keto you can have high fat moderate protein low no carbs and not be missing out at all it makes sticking to that lifestyle so much more sustainable than if you thought in the back of your mind that that you're having to sacrifice in some form or fashion yeah i mean i think there's a point at which fantasy is bad mm-hmm. <laughs> i'll just put it up there right like if every time you go to a romantic movie you look at the leading man or lady, you know, depending, and you think, gosh, what would life be like with them? I bet it would be better than my life. Your marriage is going to suck, right? Because you're constantly living in this fantasy life. doesn't even exist. And that person doesn't actually exist, but you're constantly thinking they have it better than I do. And what I have isn't good enough. And, you know, this is kind of a weird metaphor maybe, but you know, if you're rather than you can actually then instead think, 
I am in a relationship with somebody now, like my partner, and how do I make that better? How do I optimize it? How do I optimize from like reality, like where I actually am, the body I actually am in? Like for me, like there are some really clear steps that I know that I could be doing to, to better optimize my health. Those are probably the best choices. Like if you're sedentary, adding carbs is not the next right step perhaps walking is the next right step right like if you're already walking are you lifting things you know there's there there is a lot of area under the curve that you can improve and just because somebody else eats more carbs than you doesn't mean that you should eat the same amount like we're all different i love it i love it i feel like this has kind of become a mindset episode as much as it's been a metabolic flexibility episode well i mean i think it really is about mindset ultimately because um at the end of the day we're all ends of one right we're all an experiment if you're like you know what i think i'm in pretty good shape i'm gonna try what my life is like with more carbs in it and see what happens kind of like what i just did um and if it's better more power to you have more carbs but Honestly, I think you have to really understand what the implications of that are and know what you should be monitoring. Yep. Um, you know, should and if you're monitoring everything you should be monitoring and you do something and your life gets better, well then you have the evidence you need to do what you need to do. Could not agree more, Kim. Well, All right. what is the uh, the next experiment you got going on? <laughs> That's a good question. You know, I am pretty satisfied that I can eat more carbs if I wanted to. Um, but I think I'm going to go back actually to carnivore next month because I want to, I want to get a little contrast going again and see how I feel. It, it hasn't negatively impacted my weight loss. I feel good. You know, everything's going well, but I also kind of miss the simplicity of, uh, of mainly meat. Got it. Got it. Yeah. I'm going to, I've been doing like an intuitive eating stint for the past month and i'm going to start just tracking everything again in august um which i'm super excited about like i i very much advocate you know tracking for me personally and i've done this intuitive eating thing just to i think it's good to have a break from tracking so that you can kind of get Mm -hmm. re-in-tune with your body's natural hunger hormones and signals but i definitely gravitate to tracking and always trying to improve in some form or fashion yeah, I mean, just it's like you said, it's a, the mindset piece. There are certain people that tracking brings them sanity, and certain people it brings them insanity, and you got to know yourself. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Okay. Well, Kim, it's always a pleasure. I it, it, I said this in the last episode too, but like you're one of the few people where like I can just sit down and talk, and it's like just supernatural, and we share very similar f- philosophical beliefs with nutrition and everything they're in and I just have a whole lot of respect for you as a person and a thought leader in this space so just keep killing it and keep doing what you're doing thanks so much Robert I feel the same way about you well until next time Kim you have a wonderful wonderful day you too bye-bye bye-bye